Hello, hello, everybody. Hello. And welcome to another all-new episode of the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. I love how I say all-new, like, but you may be listening to it and it's technically not a new episode. If you're like, That's true. If you're backed up on, on episodes or if right. you're a new listener and you just tuned in. But or for some knows? reason, I was like, it's an all-new episode. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll do like uh, like those those sitcom you know, things where it's like, remember that time when? And then it's just a bunch of random. No, we're never going to do that. I'm no, just why would you ever do I that? I don't know. I've... It's, a long, it's late, Adam. It's a long day. It's long. It's been a long. It's a long day. A long day. Um, well, um, we're still we're still um, coming off of the excitement of, of uh, our last couple of weeks here on the show. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago, we had our first crossover mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with uh, Aiden Scary and um if you uh, if you're joining us again <gasps> from Aiden wel- welcome back I'm, I'm re- welcoming all our new listeners the other day we did a really cool thing um I've also discovered that one of my new favorite things about our podcast is we do like banter for a good like three to five minutes about everything that's not the episode uh-huh. but I I think it's it's like a it's like it's like the it's like the recap slash the preview <laughs> of what's coming up in our in the world yes um and um, well, the other day, we went on the the, the listener charts to oh, see yeah. where people that listened was cool. from. Uh, and we, we had a crazy thing. Like last week, we spoke about like the fact that we have a really big UK following, which we do, like a heavy UK following. And we got to look at all the different countries that look at this. That and then I got an email mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from um, uh, this this like website called Pod Status, which kind of measures the rankings of podcasts through various platforms and it told us that um the new york mystery machine has a good performance in apple podcast rankings in the last 30 days in ireland ireland that we were Cademila Fulcher to the irish who are with us today that we we rank 183 in the true crime category in ireland i'll take it I, that I, sounds great I love it. so if you're listening to us from 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 ireland Welcome. Thank you. For lis- Thank you for listening. Um, if you're listening to us from everywhere, welcome. You know what I also found out, which what is which out? Ma- made me feel really gleeful. Um, in terms of listeners in New York, I knew it. Which is our biggest our biggest focus of listeners come from the the state of New York. Go figure. Um, and the with and the biggest in the state is the city of New York, and the biggest amount of listeners that we have listening from the city of New York come from my home borough of Brooklyn. This world's second greatest borough. You say that, and I hope everyone who's listening to you can forgive you and not tune us up, tone us out, because our majority of our listeners come from Brooklyn. How dare you? How dare it's you? It's a lo- it's a wonderful borough. In I any just... case, in any case, Queens was third. The Bronx beat it. You know. Thank you, listeners from the Bronx. Yes, thank you, Bronx. It was Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Manhattan, um, and then a bunch of other places. I'm not sure. I think I don't think Staten Island showed up. It did, but it, like it showed up like after like a New long Jersey. like <laughs> like a place in Long Island. Well, that's just looking if you're looking at oh, just I see. the I see, I see, I see. as New York as a whole. Right. It's hard to tell where yeah where you fall in comparison. It right. just tells us like well you you have you know ninety something percent of your relationships comes from New York and in New York this percent comes from 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 right. Brooklyn and. And but here's a question. Tell Just me. because they're living in Brooklyn doesn't mean they weren't from Queens, like yours truly. That's true. We love everyone from we everywhere. We love everyone equally. All inclusive love. So thank you for everyone who listens to us from wherever you listen. We're glad that you spend uh, your your mornings, afternoons, or evenings listening to us. So we hope that you have found us entertaining, uh, informative, Um I'm saying this like we're leaving. We're not, um, but we're just we're just really glad. We're really we're grateful. Glad to have you here. Uh, we're also grateful for for the folks who support us on Patreon. Uh, and if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you head on over to Patreon.com/slash/NYMysteryMachine. For as little as three dollars a month, you can become a patron. For as little as five dollars a month, you can gain access to our bonus mini episodes. And the mini episode for January is already out. It's all about David Belasco, the haunt in the Belasco Theater. It is a Doozy of an episode. I'm glad. And um, I want you all to hear it, but you can't hear it unless you, you join the Patreon. So, so, the so Patreon. jump on the Patreon and check that out. Um, we also have this really, we started, we started trying out the new 
uh, Spotify playlists. And so we have the Spotify playlist for the $10 tier and up uh, if you're interested in that. Um, and literally after we wrap up this this episode, we're recording February's uh, bonus episode, which is going to be a really, really crazy um, haunting. Um, you don't want to miss it. It's You got to listen to it. So if you sign up for Patreon now, you automatically get uh, the first mini episode. Uh, if you sign up in February, you're going to get hit with two of them and they stay there and that's where they live. So uh, help us out. We we are really trying in 2022 to to upgrade our equipment um, and th- those dollars really matter. And um, as as you do support us, we will we will show you where the money is going to. Um, I have a wish list of things that I need to I, I'd love to purchase. And so, um, again, um, we appreciate that. And in addition to that, gosh, this is long banter. Uh, in addition <laughs> to that, um, thank you to everyone who has liked, subscribed on on the socials and given fan art. And given fan art, oh my gosh, did you guys who follow us on social media see the amazing, amazing yeah. artwork that came to us? Our friend of the show, uh, Joe Wagner, came through again. Um, if you all follow us on social media, Joe had um, made the 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 champy image that that was literally on the show. I was like, man, all I really want is a picture of Champy, this 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 huge lizard monster riding on top of the New York Mystery Machine, and he. He gave it to us, and then a couple of weeks ago on the on the the podcast with Sean and Carrie, um, I mentioned um, how adorable the idea of this little <laughs> alien who's like, "I won't hurt you," and has a little bowler hat on, and then out of nowhere. Um, uh, 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 Joe came through and, and DM does this crazy, not just this like artwork, but this little animation. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure you check it out. It's available on uh, at NY Mystery Machine on Instagram, as well as uh, you can check out his his other work uh, at Mind underscore Games twenty five on Instagram. Uh, thank you, Joe. I know you're listening, so we really appreciate uh, all you do for the show. And anytime you, something inspires you, send it our way, and we'll we'll show you we'll I show you the love that you deserve. Screamed with glee when you said I know it's it's literally a treat (laughs) when it comes through all right I have spoken enough Christina where are we we're going to be in the city in Manhattan the the city as as well the city proper perhaps Uh, perhaps (laughs) um and this is a I will say from the get-go a very disturbing murder there's a lot of uh uh mutilation of bodies that's going to be key to this case mm. um and it's so graphic and so horrific um and the subject of this murder is a sex worker in the late 1800s at the same time that the jack the ripper murders are going on in london and it's so horrific and, and you know in the popular imagination that people start speculating even that jack the ripper came over and committed it oh geez but our story starts uh on april 24th 1891 It was an average morning when the hotel janitor, Edward Fitzgerald, uh, the hotel janitor of the East River Hotel, was making his usual rounds to collect the keys and ensure that all the guests had vacated their rooms. And all was going well until he reached room 31. Room 31 on the top floor was locked, and he didn't have the key for it, so he used the master key to open it up. Inside, blood everywhere. So he does the normal person thing and he runs back downstairs and of course everyone else on him because yes. you have many stories they're like well then he walked inside and started looking at stuff and like you know playing with the thanksgiving dinner like right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like no let the people who are supposed to do things do come the do things. the things good yeah. on edward good on edward he runs back down he tells the other workers um and they need to call the police and they know they need to call the police but here's the thing uh-oh east river hotel um, is what is sometimes called a Rain's Law Hotel. Like, it's just barely functioning within the law. And it uh, it often let out its rooms to sex workers. Um, and so, as a result, often when someone comes in on, a, on a, in an evening to rent out a room, they don't ask for the name because this allows for a degree of anonymity both for the sex worker and for their their customer the the, yeah the client um so they decide they need to pretty things up um quote unquote uh oh god before they call the police in part because not only 
does it look bad that they don't have a record of who's actually in that room? But also, like, there's been some stuff that's happened recently at the East River Hotel anyway. Like, Tommy Thompson, the head bartender, killed a sailor with a saber. Tommy, dude. Um, this also wasn't the first uh, sex worker to have been found murdered in room 31. Jeez. And that's, that in that same room. room. Same room. Oh, bad God. room. Oh, God. You guys, stop. Stop renting out the room. So to make things seem a little less bad, the bartender on duty wrote down the name C. Nicklo and wife. Just made it up. Sure. In the register. Said they are the ones who rented the room. Great. They call the police. 10 a.m. rolls around and um, Richard O'Connor arrives. He's the, uh, you know, from the local precinct. And he starts to inspect the area. He goes in and he finds the body. In broad strokes... Um, the body is all wrapped up in the sheets um, and has been cut open Oof. and the entrails are, Oh no, yeah, no, it's, no. it's a lot. Like it's, it's like mutilation. It's straight up. It is an absolutely mutilated body. Um, and so, you know, he goes in and he's inspecting the scene. He finds a bloody knife next to the body. For the record, some of the most important evidence that will become really key in the trial. Um, he doesn't say he observed it until about 4 p.m., even though if it it should have been obvious if this is a legit thing. That is, he, he will eventually spot a faint trail of blood leading from room 31 to room 33 across the hall. Mm-hmm. Just worth noting sure. that at this stage of the game, nobody else has noticed. No, no one's noticed this yet. So the police arrive. They send for the coroner. Um... They have Patrolman Malarkey. Yes, his actual name, Patrolman Malarkey. Don't want that malarkey. Yeah. Uh, you know, ensure that the crime scene is remaining pristine until the coroner arrives. Here's the fun thing about coroners at this time in New York. Um, they're elected, which means... Oh, it's fascinating. Isn't that weird? What a weird thing yeah, so to be elected. You have to be elected coroner, which actually technically means you don't have to know about medicine. You just have to be good like at getting elected yeah <laughs> god now, mercifully our coroner in the story coroner schultz is a is a man of medicine oh good um but he's bad about crime scene investigation Jesus. um and so much so that actually in a, another at the time recent investigation um it was another murder schultz was investigating he managed to not have an autopsy done he managed to lose critical physical evidence and then he lost the transcript of his own inquest oh my god dude! so that's who we're dealing with right now dude how hard (laughs) it should not be this hard to do your job seems like those are some really basic things at minimum yeah so what does coroner schultz do when he arrives on the scene he lets eight reporters come with him upstairs and into the room eight reporters stampeding up the stairs and into the crime scene with him I mean, it's almost as if people like walked on in and started eating Thanksgiving dinner. It feel, off, starting off to feel a little similar, similar, right? And that reference is a Thanksgiving murder episode. If you want to go back to see what I'm talking about, yeah. <laughs> Not just randomly pulling out the idea that people... <laughs> <laughs> I'd love for people to like start tuning into episodes without like listening to the other episodes and be like, "What the fuck is he Why talking about?" Why does Adam about? think that people go and eat people's Thanksgiving dinners when they've been murdered? <laughs> Weird. Um, fun fact, by the way, about one of these reporters. One of these reporters is Jacob A. Reese of oh, of Jacob A. Reese Park and of How the Other and Half how lives. The other lives. Yeah, this is him at the beginning stages of his career, which oh is really gosh. cool. And he will end up being pretty critical later. So anyway, Schultz determines that the person in this bed has been dead for several hours, that the actual cause of death was strangulation, that the mutilation probably occurred post-mortem. And in the weeks that follow, the chief of police, a man named Byrnes, um, he he follows his policy, which is not to release anything to the press unless absolutely necessary until the case is finished. But there are leaks, clearly, because eight reporters just traipsed through yeah. a crime scene. <laughs> um, and here's what the press starts to put together. Uh, the murdered woman was called Shakespeare locally. But actually, there, were, there was another sex worker whose name was also... Shakespeare. That was her nickname as well. So they called this particular woman, the murdered woman, Old Shakespeare because she was older. I would say, was she older or was she the first? I they believe both. Oh, both. She's both. Well, good for her. Yeah. Um, good to claim that. Our old Shakespeare was a woman named Carrie Brown. 
Um, she was once married to a well-off sea captain who had served in the Union Army during the Civil War, but she had an alcohol problem, which was her downfall. And actually, not long before her murder, she had been imprisoned on Blackwell's Island for public drunkenness. Oh, how, how quick How quick was that? That was this last week. I was going to say, I was really excited when I saw that referenced. Um, so Old Shakespeare is often seen in association with someone that is called Frenchie. And to make it really confusing, there are two men called Frenchie who both often stayed at the hotel and are often like... So two Frenchies, two Old Shakespeare's. Yeah. We're doing real well. We're doing like a real doppelganger thing. Um, One Frenchie seems to have accompanied Old Shakespeare to Room 31, but the other seems to have rented Room 33. So we also have both Frenchies here that night. It seems that, as we'll see, um, the Frenchies are related um frenchy number one as we shall we shall call him um was a 40-ish year old algerian man somewhere in the medium to tall range with a bit of a mustache he's the one who rents room 33 across the hall frenchy number two is his cousin um and we suspect is the frenchy that went in with carrie brown to room 31 um, both of them, according to some accounts, have a bit of a reputation for being, you know, uh, boisterous and dangerous and violent. Um, other things that were discovered in this time. Uh, Mary Harrington, who ran a local boarding house for uh, for women, but really is probably um, more of a boarding house for sex workers, um, described... Frenchie number two, so ostensibly the person who was in the room with old Shakespeare, has very light complexioned, tall, shoulders, carried back and walking straight. He had blue eyes and a light mustache, small and thin. He had light hair cut short all the time. His face was thin and his skin was kind of yellow-like and wrinkled. And he looked a good deal like his cousin. Only his cousin was darker complexioned, whereas he is lighter complexioned. The assistant housekeeper of the hotel, a woman named Mary Miniter, was the only person who saw Carrie Brown and the man thought to be Frenchie number two the night of April 23rd. Uh, so the, the night before the discovery of the body. Sure. Miniter said that Carrie Brown arrived at the bar at about 9 p.m. accompanied by another sex worker named Mary Healy. They had a drink and Miniter chatted with them. Um, this was the first time Miniter apparently met Shakespeare. Uh, and she stayed chatting with Brown, Carrie Brown, old Shakespeare, even after Healy left and learned, the, you know, of Carrie Brown's life tale, her former, you know, sailor husband, etc. At 930, Brown leaves the bar. At 11, Carrie Brown comes back uh, and she knocks on the back entrance, which is called the family entrance. I have a feeling it's probably the 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 entrance you take if you don't want to see whatever else is going on in the, the saloon downstairs. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, and Miniter opens the door and she says that the man Brown was with was mid 30 ish, um, medium height, slender with a thin face and light brown, but a thick mustache and a German accent, she thought. So putting all of this into question Jeez. is that at first Miniter claims the man identified himself as C. Niccolo, which of course he didn't. Because the bartender made that yeah, game up. Yeah, it's made him up. So right off the bat, she's a little bit, you know, her testimony is a little bit, oh, what's going on here? Anyway, according to her, Brown asks for a room. The male companion is the one who pays. Miniter fetched some ale for them. And then they go up the stairwell to the room. The companion's never seen again. No one knows when or how he left, at least according to Miniter. Newspapers would come to speculate that maybe he went to the nearby Glenmore Hotel because at 2 a.m. on April 24th, uh, a man with a mustache and a German accent did show up asking for a room covered in blood. And because he didn't have money, he was turned away. <laughs> well, that's in the show, folks. That person is the person who murdered somebody. <laughs> and he was turned away. And that was it. So... Can you imagine? I, mean, I just imagine that, that the clerk, he was like, oh, sir, unfortunately... He had, he had no money, you said? Yeah, he wasn't able to pay for the room. So unfortunately, there's two things wrong. One's more wrong than the other. Um, <laughs> you can't pay for the room. Because you can't pay for the room, I'm not going to really ask about the blood <laughs> everywhere on you. We're just going to let that slide. But just know, two things are wrong. 
<laughs> That's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, now, most people don't think that this was actually the murderer. It was a bit of a red herring, simply because the guy's hands were completely bloodied. So why was there no blood on the room, like the doorknobs of the room yeah, yeah, in and yeah. out, right? Absolutely. So probably not this guy. I actually could think of ways that, you know, you afterwards touch your very bloody, you know, clothes. Maybe that's how it happens. But whatever. They seem to rule him out. So at about this time, Mary Miniter is looking at a, a sort of lineup of possible Nicklos, Mr. Nicklos. She fails to identify any of them as the guy, even uh, one of the Frenchies, Frenchie number one. Now, Frenchie number one ends up being detained nonetheless because he had been in room 33 in the night in question. And they were like, you got to know something. Come on. Like there was no noise. Like there was no like. Right. Um. So they learn that his real name is George Francis. His cousin, also called Frenchie, Frenchie number two, um, was, uh, you know, he refused to say where his cousin was. Um, according to a local tobacconist, as well as to other boarding house proprietors nearby, French, the Frenchies had often um, been seen with various sex workers in the area. Um, but depending on who you ask, maybe it was Carrie Brown slash old Shakespeare. Maybe it wasn't. There's a lot of conflicting information. So police pick up, you know, they're searching for Frenchie number two, right? The guy who theoretically was in the room that night. And they pick up an Algerian man by the name of R.B. LaBrookman, a.k.a. John Frenchie, who worked on cattle boats that ran between New York and Europe. He lived in Jersey City, and he admits to being the cousin of George Frenchie, but claims he knows nothing about the murder. His employer says he's meek, he's reliable, he's hardworking. Eventually, the police are like, yeah, probably not you, release him. Um, turns out that this wasn't even Frenchie number two. The police eventually learned that this is just another Frenchie, which makes you wonder how many the third Frenchie Algerian men are running around New York City named Frenchie named Frenchie in the 1890s. But essentially, uh, the real fascinating right. Um, the real Frenchie number two was discovered to have been a night watchman at a riding academy and was working the night of the murder which everyone on the job could confirm and the police chief tried to save face by being like yeah we're just not interested in Frenchie number two anymore and that's how that got out so all this time George Francis Frenchie number one is still in custody um and eventually they decide that you know what it was Frenchie number one who did it yes he was in room 33 across the hall but there are some things he seems to have known Carrie Brown he did have some blood stains on his shirt. He says they were got there by another means. There were blood stains on his mattress, and he did have blood under his fingernails, and all of it is human blood. So they decide to go with that. I just can't. They're like, well, I mean, there are all these blood things. I mean, if we have to choose, I guess let's just choose him. Nothing. Right. Nothing seems murdery here, but you know it's close enough. Close enough. Well, and to be, <laughs> it's like I don't know. He has a lot of blood. He's got everywhere. a lot of blood. Well, he says that the blood got in his shirt. It was you know a stain that won't come out from a long time ago. No. The uh, no the, Frenchy the blood under his fingernails. He's will have you know. Well, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to, to it. it. We'll get to it. One thing about the blood stains on the mattress. One thing that is noted early on in the reports is that. The rooms are pretty damn filthy up there. So, you know. The mattress shit blood happens. is neither here nor there. One would argue. Could argue. It could literally be anyone's blood be from a anyone. couple of months ago. Right. Right. But the blood on his shirt and under his fingernails, well, you know. That's pretty damning. Um, now, it's also important to note that throughout this situation, um, it's sort of a, a difficult task to find out how to best communicate with Frenchie number one because Frenchie number one doesn't speak much English he seems to understand it quite a bit but he doesn't speak with enough confidence to communicate back in it um, and it seems that his dialect is a, a very at the time like difficult for the police to identify someone to speak it fluently with them um, well they get the other Algerian Frenchie to do it <laughs> <laughs> I feel there's... right the... I feel like might as a, well. Well, essentially, a... they they find like French number one's like place of business and gotcha, and like they get the guy there who knows like so they find someone to be able to do it, but it's like a whole runaround. So they have the inquest. Um, a couple of key things happen. First, the bloodstain evidence that's in the hallway. 
right? That wasn't noted until three or four in the afternoon by Captain, you know, the police captain's own admission. Um, and it was spotted after Coroner Schultz had paraded all the reporters into room 31. So ostensibly, it could have been the reporters tracking blood back into the hall. So that direct line to the other room may not be so, you know, so useful. Throughout the inquest, um, Frenchy also maintains that the blood on his person, so all of his clothes, um, was from having relations with a menstruating woman. Oh, boy. And that the stains just wouldn't come out. Oh, boy. I mean, well. The uh, the defense attorney, um, House, a man named House, um, he also managed to get... Uh, one of the, the the doctors giving evidence, one of the expert witnesses, a Dr. Edison, admit that, honestly, the blood under Frenchie's nails could have come if, like, he picked his nose hard enough. That's true. So That's true. the blood evidence is frustrating because now we're so used to, like, well, just test for the, you know, yeah, look like, at the DNA. I, like, and like my like, first wow. urge was like, well, just, like, oh, no, they don't do that yet. <laughs> right. They don't do it yet. We're not there yet. They're even, there's even some debate throughout the trial is, like, well, can you definitely tell that it's human blood? Like, have you seen what... You know, like, how much human blood have you looked at? Because one of them was like, yeah, I mostly deal with animals. You're right. Oh, jeez. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a bungled trial. Bungled Nonetheless, trial. Nonetheless, the jury deliberates for 22 minutes and returns and determines Frenchie was likely the, the person to be guilty, which means it went on to the grand jury, who indicts Frenchie on May 18th, and a trial will begin on June 23rd. And with that, why don't we take a break? Sure. We'll be right back after these messages. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. And we're back. We are back. Oh, um, boy. So we just left as the trial of Frenchie number one is about to start. Um, and the trial starts off and the prosecution brings decides that their first act after their opening speech is to um, bring the whole jury down to the scene of the crime. Frenchie is denied the opportunity to join him, even though he should have been loud. And when they get to the scene of the crime, um, rooms, they not much has changed in rooms 31 and 33. Aside from the body being out of there, everything else is there. Oh, boy. So all the blood is there. Oh, jeez. Um, and they spend a total of 15 minutes looking about those rooms and then getting the hell out of there. They did not want to stay there very long. And during the early stages of the trial, the prosecution notably gives an inaccurate account of the bloodstain evidence. Essentially, um, they say that they found blood stains all over room 33, which is not true. They found some blood in room 33 in different places, but it was not, you know. Like the other it's room. It's not like room 31, which is right? full of blood. And how it arrived in room 31 at all, if it's the same blood, is really the issue, right? Is this somehow definitively the same blood? 
because right now we're living in the world where it either could be blood that was like kind of traced over there or it could just be someone else's blood from another time because these rooms are not cleaned really well. Right, exactly. So essentially what the prosecution ends up doing is the prosecution ends up establishing a couple of key things. Um, the prosecution decides that it's going to demonstrate that the blood was was anemic and very specific. Well, here's the funny and weird thing. The blood is anemic, but that the blood in both places is actually leukemic. And at the time, leukemia versus anemia wasn't really fully understood. Now, now I'm confused. Yeah. If you can test the blood for that, <laughs> you can't like poke someone's finger, get their blood, and then poke that and be like, oh, these have the same things inside of them? Well, so that's basically it, right? So the idea is is sort of, well, yeah, right. But the idea here is that if if the prosecution can demonstrate that the blood in both places is anemic, it's probably Carrie Brown's, which means if the blood under his finger is anemic, it's probably Carrie Brown's. Great. And and did they, they tell Well. Oh, God. They kind of screw it up a little bit. Of course um, they do. I don't they don't really harp on the aspect of uh the blood that from carrie brown's body definitively from carrie brown body was more than anemic it, it was leukemic right so it had leukemia um so really you need to look at that and make sure that that's across the board but they they kind of drop the ball on that the problem. so she also was ha- she also had cancer yeah oh so my she God, she would have had some stage of leukemia um and so that's going to be like the thing they're they're trying to demonstrate. Um, there is a wonderful quote from the trial um, that I would love for you to read. Oh my God. Um, around around the blood evidence. Great. Find that here. This is from the prosecution. <clears throat> and altogether, uh, the circumstances naturally point to and satisfy a reasonably man's mind that this man was the man who committed the crime in room 33. But they say, quote, you have got no eyewitnesses to that crime. No one saw it. It all is circumstantial. It is not so, gentlemen. There was an eyewitness to that crime, and it was the eye of God. The hand of God has written on the wall the name of this assassin, and science has allowed us to demonstrate it beyond any possible power of contradiction. The blood that flowed from this woman and was found on the floor in a pool beneath her bed. The blood on the man's shirt, the blood on his shirt cuff, the wristband, the blood on the door leading to his room, the prints on his fingers, the blood inside the door was found to be one of identical blood from the same subject, anemic blood. The same correspondence of white and red corpuscles. Is that how you say the word? I've been debating that myself. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, corpsicles, sure. The same correspondence of white and red corpsicles showing that it came from an anemic person. It was found further that the blood on his shirt and the blood on that floor was mixed with the intestinal fluid that would naturally come from the smaller intestine, which was cut by this knife. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, so that establishes basically the key things, right? That it's anemic blood. For whatever reason, they don't harp on the leukemia, even though that would be rarer. Um, They also harp on this idea that there is intestinal fluid and that this intestinal fluid, they will come to demonstrate, likely has some vegetable matter, digested meat, and bacteria, as would be from cheese. These are the known last meals of um, Carrie Brown. So this is this is really what most of this right is reliant on this entire case. Things that they should have harped on but they didn't was that in all cases the blood had roundworms eggs. What? So like is this really unique combination of blood that's really pointing to it has to all come from Carrie, right? Because if this is how her blood was and it's under his nails and on his clothes and they're all homogenous, how else would it be? Um But here's what the defense essentially comes down to. They say, they say that the prosecution failed to demonstrate where the man who accompanied old Shakespeare to her room is. Okay. The prosecution failed to prove that our Frenchie, um, he goes by like 20 different names. Eventually it's come to be known that his name is Amir Ben Ali, um, knew that Shakespeare was in the hotel the night of the murder. Sure. 
they try to say that the prosecution failed to prove Frenchie even occupied room 33. And the prosecution failed to provide a motive for the crime. The defense decides to put Frenchie on the stand and have their interpreter liaise between them. Frenchie sort of overplays his hand, pretending like he can't answer even the most basic questions. Um, and then when asked if he killed Carrie Brown, he jumps to his feet and wildly gesticulating at length. And the translation was just, I am innocent. I have a wife and children. Um, there's also a matter of the knife used to kill Carrie is of, it was, it was modified. It was a regular knife, but it was modified in a specific way that the prosecution tried to show was the type of knife Frenchie was often seen with. Did they find the weapon or, or they're just- Yeah, it was next to her body. Wow. Um, and prints? Well, prints at this time, I don't believe are a thing. Wow. So it it's- It feels so basic. I know. That in like the 1800s, they should have been like, well, prints, that makes sense. Right. Like, we have these little lines on our fingers and certainly- Certainly it must mean something. Certainly it must mean something. So Frenchie is on the stand and the prosecution wants to demonstrate that this knife that was once taken off Frenchie is, you know, the kind that he would- definitely usually have around they show this knife to Frenchie. oh he's like oh my knife <laughs> right um they show they show this knife that's i should need to clarify the story sure they have Frenchie on the stand they want to show that the particular type of knife the way it was modified is the kind of knife that Frenchie would normally have. And so Frenchie had previously been in the Queens County jail for vagrancy or something. And a knife was taken off him on the way in. So they show that knife. They're like, is this your knife? And he's like, yeah, that was mine. Then they show the murder weapon and asked, wasn't this also yours before they took the other, you know, after they took the other one away from you and Frenchie erupts wildly again. Technically, the question should not have been allowed because it's very leading, right? It's saying that because the police took this knife, you made this one, right? And Oh, yeah. A lawyer would be like, that's leading, leading that's witness. That's leading. Um, but the judge in this case was very lenient about all that kind of thing. He's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Get this over with. This guy's a murderer. Exactly. Um, Man, if you were a criminal in the 1800s, you had it easy. You had it made. Um... So the jury ends up getting instructed, right? They have to go do their thing. They have to deliberate. Um, the judge does some things that we would consider verboten today. So, for example, um, among his comments, even though nobody saw who killed Carrie Brown, quote, if jurors insisted on eyewitnesses for every murder, many crimes would go unpunished. Um, oh, my God. And he commented that although the police and Frenchie were at odds in their testimony, why would a police officer lie? Oh, my gosh. What's the motive for that? Jesus. So at the end of it all, the jury finds Frenchie guilty of murder in the first degree. Sentence, life in prison. Once in jail, Frenchie immediately, you know, continues to protest his innocence. And some sympathetic visitors and people who learn of his story ask for, you know, beg for a pardon on his behalf. Um, in 1897, a French notary... Um, and Algiers sends a letter to the French consul general to New York detailing Frenchie's wife and children and all of these other things about his life. And please, can't you do anything for Frenchie? And so he gets a very fancy French-American lawyer to draw up a petition for pardon. It's the first time when he draws up this petition that Frenchie, now who has learned English a bit better, is willing to communicate in English. And for the first time, he says that the blood under his nails is because when the police were trying to collect, you know, dirt under his fingernails, they pricked him so hard that it drew his own blood. Oh, boy. Which, again, uh, because that would imply that if all the blood is homogenous, he is also leukemic and had the same last meal and all those things. Which you can check at this point in the game. Right. But they don't. Um, Eventually... Ro- this this French American lawyer by the name of Robillard, um, he gets eight affidavits and an enormous petition signed to overturn the ruling. Um, here are a couple of the most important ones. This one is from a George Damon, a dealer of printing supplies who lived in Cranford, New Jersey. He said, I had a quantity of grading to do in front of my place in the spring of 1891, and I went down to Castle Garden and hired several men to do the work. After getting through this work, I kept one of the men to assist my man, who had broken his arm. He took care of the horses. As near as I can recollect, his name was Frank. Again, one of the names of Frank, you know. I had this man working for me about a month before April 24th, 1891. 
The morning of the murder of Shakespeare, I went out to my stable and found only my regular man with a broken arm. This was about six o'clock in the morning. I asked him where the other man was, and he said that Frank had been called out all night and had gone to bed and that I better not disturb him. He was pretty in pretty ugly shape. I did not see him, but at the regular time came to New York. Frank left me between five and ten days later without any notice. One of my servants, named Mary, went up to the barn to clean up the room that Frank had occupied and found a key. I think it was in the table drawer. She made the remark that the key had the same number on it as the room mentioned by the papers as the one in which Shakespeare was killed, the key that was never mm. located. When I returned home that night, they called my attention to it. The girl had also found a shirt with bloodstains on in the room. Uh, I put the key in my pocket, brought it to New York. It was an ordinary bronze key of the cheap kind and had a tag on it, number 31. The next day, I and one of my employees went to a, a saloon on Catherine Street, the same hotel where the murder had been committed. We sat down at a table and compared the key that I had to the tags on the keys at the hotel. It was exactly the same style of key and the same style of brass tag with corners clipped. The man to whom I refer to in the beginning of my statement, known to me as Frank, was, I think, a foreigner. I knew he had been a sailor. He was a man about 5 feet 10 inches tall, rather strong, but not very fleshy, and about 35 years old. He spoke in broken English and, in my opinion, was a Dane. So that would match the original description of a man with a sort of Germanic accent. Yeah, going back all the way to the beginning of the story. Right. So why not share this info earlier? Well, this guy, George Damon, said the facts at the time suggested that Frenchy was where he should be in jail, and he didn't want his name involved with the case. The other major affidavit is from none other than our friend Jacob Reese. And Jacob Reese says... I am a reporter on the Evening Sun, a newspaper published in New York City, and have been since April 1891. On Friday, April 24th, 1891, being at the time detailed at police headquarters, I heard of the murder at the East River Hotel in New York City, since known as the Shakespeare murder, and went at once to the hotel, arriving there about noon on that day. I examined the place carefully, viewing the room where the murder was committed and that afterward was said to have been occupied by Ben Ali, or Frenchy, who is now serving a life sentence after conviction of the crime. Nor did I see any blood spots on the outside or the inside of the door of the room so said to have been occupied by Frenchie. And to the best of my knowledge and belief, there were no blood spots on the floor of the hall in or around the room said to have been occupied by Frenchie on the night of the murder. Yet another newspaper man claims that when he was hanging out with some friends one time, they were in the company of another reporter who claimed that he and some of the other reporters that day had actually wanted to sensationalize it more jack the ripper style and so had taken some blood when no one was looking and spread it oh around room God. 31 that is <sighs> eating your thanksgiving dinner <laughs> so we now have an alternate suspect and two people corroborating the noddling was there no blood initially in room 31 but some reporters may have planted it so governor odell on april 16th 1901 commutes Frenchy's sentence to a term of years terminating on april 19th 1902 it's not a pardon, but essentially Frenchy gets his life back and he like leaves the country after and is like, nope, I'm out of here. So who actually killed old Shakespeare? In 1902, we get another story. An actor tells a newspaper reporter that Frenchy had actually confessed to several men. One of those men was a man named Emilio Selton, who was the interpreter at Frenchy's trial. The actor said he knew Selton because he would buy cigars from him, and Selton told him the story. And apparently, per Selton, Frenchie admitted to going into the room and handling the mutilated body, but would not admit to killing the woman. So Selton was already dead at the time this came out. And the idea is that this would have blamed, uh, explained maybe some of the blood evidence, right? So he went into the room, but she was already dead. And then he... And already mutilated? Uh-huh. And he basically handled her mutilated body? So a couple of things about that. that what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? It could mean that he went in, he was going to steal something and rooted around the dark and then realized what was happening with his hands and went, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. And got the hell out of there. Oh, Frenchie, right? you've done it again. <laughs> um, That's one option. The other option is he went in there, saw what happened, mutilation and everything. And it was like. I don't know, weirdly into it. Oh. And like, started handling stuff. Oh, like handling stuff. Option oh. three is he just straight up murdered her. Or he her. murdered her. 
Um, he but handled it as it as right as as it stands today. It is technically sort of unsolved. Well, no, it is. It's it is solved in theory because someone went to jail for it right. and wasn't pardoned for it. Wasn't pardoned. His, His sentence, sentence was commuted. Was re- commuted, but he still served time for this crime well, that was said that he committed. So by the law, mm-hmm. someone did it. Right. But in theory, but he shouldn't. Essentially, he shouldn't maybe have been convicted yeah. on the evidence no, be, as it was argued. Well, or... yeah, I mean, there's reasonable doubt, right? That's yeah, the whole right, exactly. thing about they have an alternate law. person. And the law is, you know, you. When you're when you go to any if you if you ever serve on a jury and I'm sure many listeners have or or know of the the main thing is that if there is a slight ounce of reasonable doubt you cannot convict somebody right. and there's a, a shit ton of reasonable doubt right. for for especially Frenchy. in the years after with these affidavits yeah um, I don't know what to make of the man with the bloody shirt in New Jersey I am sort of fascinated that apparently everyone on April 23rd was walking around New York and New Jersey with bloody shirts yeah it's like oh it's National <laughs> Bloody Shirt hotel, Day guy in Jersey um, so you don't get your bloody shirt what a fucking idiot <laughs> I could see it being a world where Frenchie's actually innocent and is gonna thinks he's just gonna steal some money and like walks yeah, in yeah, I, and- I mean I think that I, I handled the mutilated body to me, that sounds like he went in um, to either like he went into he. I don't think it was a, it was a sex thing. No, I think he handled the yeah. body in terms of I went in to go grab stuff, and in the end, I did touch the body. Right. Like my hands touched that body, so I handled it. I like handled you, it, but I yeah, did not commit the thing. Exactly, it's a guy handled the body. It's like like you know you you. You you came into contact with it, which right. explains them. Their problem is is that then you you lose him on the whole thing when he was trying to say that it was the, his own blood under his fingernails, right? And the you know the the menstrual blood of a woman he had sex yeah, with. Yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot there's lying somewhere. Something right. is something is a lie. He told a, a lie at a point. lie or multiple lies at some point. Now whether that's earlier on, you know. The, the the lies were all these other ways he got the blood and he was scared, understandably, um, that nobody would believe he walked in trying to steal something and yeah. just stumbled. Uh, I just never, I always, for me, I never understand the late in life slash deathbed confessions. Yeah. Those are things that in all these stories just like boggle my mind of when people say in there and on their deathbed or later in life, they said, like, why would you ever... Right, you took it that long. I guess maybe a sudden guilt just makes you. But what does it do? Confessing to a random person does not do anything. Yeah, I mean, I... maybe it does for people. I mean, maybe they maybe, maybe they want like... the other person to be like, just tell me it's okay. Like, uh... like, no, it was not okay. Not what you did was really. not okay. Like, yeah, oof. Christina. But I don't know what I don't know what happens to Frenchie after this. I mean, he goes off. He goes back to France. He goes to, um, I think he may even go back to his wife and kids in Algiers. Um, wow. But that's that's old Frenchy, uh, old Shakespeare. <laughs> old Shakespeare and 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 Frenchy number one. Frenchy number one. Shakespeare number one. Mm-hmm. And nothing nothing come about with with Frenchy number two or three and or Shakespeare number two. Shakespeare Shakespeare number two does have a lovely cameo at one point. Apparently they were always sort of like bitter with like each rivals. other. Yeah, but when um when the papers came out because the papers were running wild with this because it was such a sensational case um she did ask to see the body hmm. and apparently wept over it and then and then she was like you'll always be Shakespeare number one and she always and she kept number two for the rest of her life that's exactly what as happened as an homage mm-hmm. gosh well 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 kids that was Christina you didn't lie that was a doozy it was a doozy gross and it was and disgusting and horrific and horrible mutilated bodies should we end on a more positive note you know how both Shakespeare's got their nickname Shakespeare? Tell us. They liked to um, quote Shakespeare while playing drinking games. Well, I love that. Yeah. What a great, what a great. That's how thing. I choose to remember them. <laughs> after after your wrap up, we'll, we'll we'll grab a shot of something and quote Shakespeare in, in honor of our of our Shakespeare's. Exactly. Um, well, if you have any theories, as always, we haven't plugged this in a while. If you have any theories to to what may send have happened to old Shakespeare, send us your theories. You can do that either by um, reaching out on the social medias at NY Mystery Machine on Facebook or Instagram, or at NY Mysteries on Twitter. If you notice, I have been a little bit more active on the Twitter. Like I, I forgot prom- about the Twitter. <laughs> and I 
I, in turn, was like, you know what? I'm going to make an effort to be more active on the Twitter machine. So I am, I am more active on the Twitter. That was my little New Year's resolution to the show. I'm gonna be a little more active, so I did. I'll try to. I I will study your Twitter ways and see if I can be. <laughs> they're not. More it's useful. not great tweets. They're not clever. Just promoting shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Eventually, they'll start to evolve to clever tweets, though. That's the goal. Right. At least, at minimum, tweet about the show, and then try also to be more creative in the end about it. I've yeah. just always been more of an Instagram person. Same. But Twitter is it? Is Twitter, it, I just use to retweet like. Star Trek jokes and archaeology jokes to myself and articles I want to read later. That's fair. Um, but make sure you follow us on all those socials, as I just mentioned. And um, if you want to help keep the show going, you head over to patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and you can make a donation uh, monthly. Uh, donations start at $3 a month. They go up to 25 if you're interested in that. And there's a lot of cool perks. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and all that jazz. Uh, drop us a five-star rating with a review on iTunes. We'll be entered into our Listener of the Month program. You could also drop us a five-star rating on the Spotify. So if you're listening right now, I always tell people, I don't understand. It's so quickly. You're, you're, you're literally either sitting on the train or like you're at your office or you're doing something. But just head on over to the main page of the New York Mystery Machine on Spotify and click the five stars. If you're on the iTunes, same thing. Scroll on down, click the five stars. We appreciate it. It matters. It helps us. Um, we are back next week with an all-new show. Um, and... Probably next week you'll have uh, the opportunity for a, a bonus mini episode if oh, you man. if you go into that Patreon. So thank you, Christina, for a wonderful episode. Um, oof! And I feel we have more murders coming down the pipe. Don't we, we do have more murders. Oh coming boy! Down the pipe. Well, we'll we'll get ready for that. Well, I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. And thank you, as always, for taking a ride aboard the New York Mystery Machine.